welcome to Tales from the Albright, a new podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Today we'll be talking about the Olmstead Garden that is on the outside of the Albright Memorial Library building. Before we get started, I would like to introduce myself and provide some context for this project. My name is Alyssa and I work in the reference department of the library. I received my master's degree from Simmons College in archives management, which is a branch of library and information science. During my time at grad school, I volunteered at the Frederick Law Olmsted National Historic Site, which is located in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, I was there when I first discovered that he had designed the landscape around the library here. Um, He also did a few other things in the area that I will discuss later. Today our guest is Jess. Hey everyone, I am the Director of Community Engagement. Okay, so do you know anything about Frederick Law Olmsted? Pretty much no. The The first time I heard about Olmsted was when I started to work here at the Albright Memorial Library in 2015. And at that point we were working on the rain barrels and putting them underneath the ground mm-hmm. um, to collect the rainwater. And that was the first time I heard the name Olmsted and I kind of knew he was a popular figure but really did not know anything else about him. Okay, Um, so what I'm going to start with is his biography. Mm -hmm. So he was born in 1822 in Connecticut, and he would eventually go on to establish the profession of landscape architecture. Um, Landscape architecture is basically the designing of lands. So kind of like gardening, bushes, anything that needs designing outside is encompassed. Um, So the placement of trees in parks, Mm -hmm. walkways in parks, open areas, retaining walls, everything in that Mm -hmm. sort of area. Uh, He was highly influential in the profession and focused on the importance of incorporating green spaces into urban planning for the good of public health. Um, For a while, he was the director of the U.S. Sanitary Commission during the Civil War. So Olmsted was very into keeping things sanitary for health reasons. Um, I believe he also got into mental health after the Civil War. They didn't know what PTSD was back then, but he kind of recognized the symptoms of it in soldiers. In addition to his belief that nature could help provide a restorative experience, he also viewed his projects as artworks. The ground and land and trees and plants were kind of his paint. And then the earth was his canvas, and it was earthworks, which is the more common term for contemporary art that is massive and takes Mm -hmm. up landscape areas. Before all of this, however, he was educated through ministers around Hartford, Connecticut, and would study surveying, engineering, chemistry, and farming. Uh, During his studies, he developed a passion for scenery when he traveled to Europe and throughout New England. So his career in landscape architecture began when he was in his 30s. Do you want to guess what his most notable project was? It's in New York. In New York. Um, I'm going to say Central Park. Yes. Oh, cool. Picture. In 1858, he won a design competition for the park with Calvert Vall. And the first section was completed in the same year. Um, It's kind of impressive that that's his first experience with landscape architecture, as it's one of the most iconic areas Mm -hmm. in the country. Yeah. 
Um, from there, he went to be the director of the U.S. Sanitary Commission, which I just talked about. And then he also had a stint as a manager in a gold mine. Hmm. So <laughs> that's interesting. It is. <laughs> and from there, he went on to design the land around the U.S. Capitol building. Mm-hmm. And that included the placement of shrubs, the walkways, trees, lamps, walls, terraces, and he would eventually go on to do other major projects, including college campuses, the Emerald Necklace area of Boston. Um, and he also worked on a small scale with private residences and cemeteries, and I will discuss some of those later. So the firm itself was established around this time. And then in 1897, he retired and left his the landscape architecture firm to John Charles and Frederick Law Jr., along with his apprentices, Charles Elliott and Henry S. Codman. This resulted in a variety of name changes through the years. So you can see Olmsted Brothers, Olmsted, Olmsted, and Elliott, just a combination of all their names at any given mm-hmm. time when whoever was working there was working there. Okay. Okay, so do you know anything about the original design of the gardens outside of the library building? Not really in front of the Albright, no, except for maybe that there were shrubs that wind, outwind it, but that's about it. So I'm going to pull up on the Frederick Law Olmsted National Historic Sites Flickr page. They have blueprints of all of the designs that they currently have the blueprints for in their archives. So they have the Scranton Public Library on there. It's job number 1349, and it was designed under Olmsted, Olmsted, and Elliott. I will try to describe the blueprint. Um, I will also put a link to it on the social media and everything when I post the episode. Originally, they had plants and shrubs on both sides of the building. Oh, okay. Um, when the Masonic Temple was built, mm-hmm. it kind of blocked all the sun. So um, everything on that side of the building died. Okay. So that, that was gone. Um, they were originally contacted uh, in 1893, and then the garden was completed in 1895. As far as I'm aware, there are no photos of what it looked like that were taken. Oh, wow. Because most of the early photos of the building itself are from right after its construction. Okay. So, as far as I know, if everyone knows of any, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Send them our way, please. Yes. <laughs> so, on the blueprint itself, there's all of these circles with numbers that correspond to the plants that oh, were planted. Okay. Um, so, I'm looking... I, I can tell because we have a nice, big, beautiful tree mm-hmm. in the front of our library. Yes. That's not on this. No. So the dogwood tree that is in the center um, was donated by the Daughters of the American Revolution. Okay. And that was a later addition. Okay. So what happened was through the years, the garden kind of disappeared, the Olmsted design. Oh. Um, at one point, a section of it became a parking lot where staff could park. And just changing tastes and weather and events Mm -hmm. resulted in it basically disappearing. Mm -hmm. People really didn't know it had ever existed until about 1992, when the Olmsted plans and a receipt for the project were rediscovered. Oh, wow. Um, From then, there was a plan that was created to help restore the gardens to some form of what they used to be. Mm -hmm. 
Using an urban forestry grant from the United States Forestry Service, the plan became a reality, and the Albright contacted Thomas J. McLean Associates to landscape the area with a modern-day reinterpretation of these original plants. Quick question before we move forward, because yes. I know you were going to talk about the plants uh, mm-hmm. that were original. Were any of the any of the original plants in Olmsted's plan did they cross over and are they still here today? Yes. Oh. Um. So they tried to follow the planting plans almost exactly. Okay. There were some issues, however. The large open spaces in the front by where the walkway is, um, the dogwood tree was planted there, and no one wanted to get rid of that because it's beautiful. Right. And then some of the species that the Olmsteads used are now considered toxic and invasive. Ooh, okay. So, so do we have any examples of that? Yes. We don't have any planted outside because uh, I couldn't. Right. But yeah. um, Japanese honeysuckle and multifloral rose need okay. to be substituted for other plants. Okay. Some other plants are no longer common and they need it to be found somehow. Mm-hmm. I believe a woman... It was a yellow root, and a woman in the area, I forget her name, it was in a newspaper article, realized she had one in her backyard, so she gave oh, them nice. a little like piece of it oh, so they could was, plant it. Oh, that was nice of her. <laughs> and that is a shrub. Oh. They also listed World's Fair rhododendrons in the original plans, and no one could figure out what species of rhododendron that actually meant okay the olmsteads would have known because they designed the world's fair mm-hmm. and all the shrubs and plants for that i want to say it was the chicago's world's fair okay but um when thomas j mclean associates were trying to figure out which one it was they just couldn't so the final design that they came up with had the influence of modern tastes in landscape design, Mm -hmm. and that meant cutting back to about one-third of the original amount of plants that were planned in the original Olmsted design. Mm -hmm. And the end result is a mix of the present day and historical garden. So I'm going to ask, color palette-wise, because I know Mm -hmm. when you look outside, um, we have daylilies, which are, you know, wonderful Mm -hmm. yellow, and they bloom just about all all summer long, which is great. Um, and I know there's a few other shrubs and flowers in there, but it, was there a color palette in mind when Olmsted designed for the library? I don't know. I imagine there was, since mm-hmm. he viewed it as artwork. Right. What that was, I'm not sure. Okay. No, I was just <laughs> oh, yeah. curious. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just know he liked green space, <laughs> so oh, he liked the open lawns. That's, oh, okay. Yeah. And then, in recent years, the Olmsted Garden has been removed due to construction projects that have happened out on the lawn. That's about it for the gardens itself outside. Um, And we'll move on now to other involvement that he had in the city of Scranton. Mm -hmm. Um, I will address, I I believe it's on the Wikipedia page for Nayog Park, it said he designed Nayog. I wasn't able to find any record of that when I was working there in the books that list his projects. On the Library of Congress, there's a lot of plans. I wasn't able to find that. So if you know anything about that or have any information on that, please send it over because I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Olmsted was contacted by the city of Scranton 
for two more projects. The first one was in 1910 when the Scranton Improvement Association reached out while they were developing a plan for the city. Um, the Olmstead firm replied with details of a similar project that they were doing in Rochester, New York. Um, nothing came of that project, though. Aww. So they must have went with somebody else. <laughs> oh, boy. And the second time was involving a creation of a six-acre park and playground for the city. In the letters that are on the Library of Congress website, it's interesting to note that Fred Hartzell, who was representing the city, instructed the Olmsted brothers to contact his daughter, Ruth. Ruth was studying in Groton, Massachusetts at the time, and he felt that it was just the easiest point of contact. <laughs> so she probably just woke up to a letter one day. <laughs> Being like, here's this. <laughs> it is noted on the cover for the correspondence that it was not chosen. I am curious if this was what the Naog idea was referencing. Okay. But I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wasn't able to find anything concrete okay. about it. And then I want to end today's episode with a discussion of other locations that the Olmsted Farms did in northeastern Pennsylvania. So do you want to guess any areas? Oh, boy. I don't know my parks in Scranton as well as I should. Um, I'm going to go off on a real whim and say Connors Park. No. Okay. So I knew I was wrong. (laughs) You're good. (laughs) So he had um, a hand in designing Kirby Park down in Wilkes-Barre, the landscape surrounding the Scranton Country Club. And then he did a lot of work for private homes and then graves. Oh, so interesting. (laughs) Yes. Um, Both the graves of Mortimer B. Fuller and Mr. and Mrs. David Boys contain Olmstead designs. Oh, wow. So they actually designed their headstones and then a bench that's next to where they're buried and then the plants around it oh wow. so now what graveyard are they in or cemetery I should they say. are in hickory grove cemetery which i believe is up in waverly area oh okay i was about to ask mm-hmm. about waverly if if he was up there yeah that way. okay yeah he kind of went wherever he was employed and yeah. needed okay interesting i think it's yeah. interesting that our area was able to get him Yes. But at the same time, Scranton was very prominent at the time mm-hmm. as well, so makes sense. Yeah, he, he was a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and... Well, I think it's amazing that, you know, we, we, have, we think about these big names, and they, they were here in Scranton, mm-hmm. and there's pieces of the work here in Scranton. And that, it, yeah, I, I like that the library is a part of that. Yes. So. And it kind of helped preserve the legacy of them, too, that yeah. it's involved... And shows how prominent Scranton was mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so all of the designs can be found on the Flickr page. Um, if you want to see them and go look mm-hmm. around and see what else he did. There's also a few books. Um, a Clearing in the Distance is one of the major works. Um, I'm trying to think of others. I know there's collections of his plans and designs mm-hmm. that you can purchase. I don't think we have them here. I believe we have a Clearing in the Distance, though. Okay. What plans of Olmsteads do we have here at the library? So we have some of the drawings of the original garden. Okay. And then we have the correspondence with the firm as well. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Is that available for the public to view? I believe so. 
Okay. Yes. So give us a request and we'll try our best to make it happen and organize a time for you to come in and see them. Okay. Um, they would be in the non-circulating, so you would have to view them here. Okay. So now the next time that you're in the library, take a moment to look around the garden and look at how the landscape has its own history. And it's not just structures that contain the Mm -hmm. history and stories. It's also the land itself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you for being on. Well, thank you for (laughs) for having me. This was really interesting. I, I truly, besides... Knowing Olmstead was a, a huge name, I didn't really know what went into it. Mm-hmm. So, um, knowing that there's yet another piece of history at this library that's unique and special, uh, you know, I think just makes the library a staple in our area. So, and and we are open to the public too, which is awesome. So, yes. come see our grounds, come uh, visit us in person. So. All good things. Yes, we'll be here, and we're here any time that you want to call or have any questions about the area. We'll be more than happy to try and find anything that you may want. Next week, we will be discussing the first staff of the Scranton Public Library and the development of our first branch, the Nancy K. Holmes Branch Library. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or anything at all, please email me at aloney.com at albright.org. That is A-L-O-N-E-Y at albright.org. You can also call the library at 570-348-3000. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Bye.